The total number of children who would benefit from cannabis is in the order of 20 to 25,000. NICE is set up to appraise pharmaceutical medicine, but what they're not used to doing is assessing a plant, a botanical. And NICE looks at the evidence base for cannabis as a pharmaceutical product and they say, well, there's not enough for these double-blind placebo-controlled studies. And that's the sort of gold standard of drug assessment. But you can't do that to a plant with over 100 cannabinoids and over 100 terpenes and can't treat it as a pharmaceutical product. And NICE has treated it as a pharmaceutical product and quite deliberately avoided looking at the evidence. I mean, I think we're just going to look back two and a half years. That's all it is to November 18. But before that, there was no prescriptions, no products in the country. And now, two and a half years later, we've got six and a half thousand people, 60 doctors prescribing, six clinics. So we've come an awful long way. I'm optimistic. I think we'll see that first NHS prescriptions within 12 months, more than the three we've got at the moment. And uh, after that, it takes off. Welcome to The Healthy Beast. Today we're talking about cannabis, principally medical cannabis, but it's impossible to talk about medical cannabis without talking about the other side, as, as we'll find out. And I'm joined by a doctor and a lawyer who better to talk about these things. The doctor is Professor Mike Barnes, one of the foremost experts in cannabis. And Ricardo Gallarda is a lawyer who specialises in these matters. Uh, Professor Mike Barnes, if I can call you Mike, if I'll start with you, if I could. Three years ago now, you secured the first test case subscription for cannabis in the UK for a little boy called Alfie Dingley who has a severe form of epilepsy and this was all over this is in all the papers it was this great kind of legal yes. victory and he got his medicine and his life yes. was saved it's literally life-saving medicine and then mm. we did a podcast last year and and you know it was, it was great news for Alfie Dingley and his family but then the family's in the news at the end of last year beginning of this year saying his mother feared for his life because his supply was running out. And I yes. have to say that these stories were, it seemed to me, not quite as prominent as the good news stories that we had back in 2018. So you had this big victory, six mm. children were saved, but they're not getting the medicine. So what, what's going wrong? 1st of November 2018, I thought was an excellent day. And I thought that was the, str the struggle over and done with. But uh, sadly, it hasn't been the case. And there's now just three in the whole of that time, two and a half years, there's just been three National Health Service prescriptions all for small children, one of which includes Alfie that you've mentioned. And there's now about 6,000, 6,500 patients prescribed, but privately, which is very sad. Mm -hmm. So what's gone wrong? I think the main thing that's gone wrong, I have to say, is the attitude of the medical profession. That's been a real issue of persuading the senior medical bodies to even contemplate using cannabis. And we've had some un very unhelpful guidelines come out since we last spoke, Richard. Uh, one was the NICE guidance that was produced at the back end of last year, which... Um, perhaps from their point of view, understandably, but unfortunately, look at the cannabis as a pharmaceutical medicine and wanting the analysis and the evidence base all on the classic pharmaceutical double-blind placebo-controlled studies. And cannabis is a plant. It doesn't lend itself to that. And what they need to do and should have done is look at the overarching real-world evidence. That's a phrase we've heard a lot these days when COVID vaccines are coming in. That's assessing all the evidence there is from patient stories to observational studies, etc. So they failed to take that into account. They produced very, very restrictive guidance, been then backed up in one sense by other guidance from the Royal College of Physicians on pain um, and the British Pediatric Neurology Association on pediatric epilepsy. So I think the doctors 
first of all, are somewhat ig ignorant about cannabis. I mean that in a supportive sort of way. They do need education, educational courses. So most people don't feel comfortable about prescribing until they've gone through that education. And secondly, they're then restricted by the NICE and other guidance, which is only guidelines, but it's a brave hospital that goes against NICE guidelines. Um, and I think that's the main reason that holds things back. The other quick point is the supply chain has been up and down. You, you alluded to the supply chain in Holland that Hannah Deacon uh, came back to the press with uh, about getting supplies in from Holland. That was a Brexit issue. Um, so having no UK-based cannabis industry, which no doubt we'll come to, uh, I think is a big drawback for the patients. We, the supply chain is very hit or miss. So it, it wasn't it wasn't a legal problem getting it. So it's, it's just it's just a problem getting it from Holland for. No, it, it was a legal problem because uh, it used to be that a UK prescription was recognised in Holland uh, because it was part of the EU. When they ceased to be part of the EU, uh, the prescription, the signature of a UK registered medical practitioner, no longer was recognised in Holland. So getting it uh, from Holland to the UK without the prescription was the was the problem. So but it was. Has yeah. that story for them, at least for now, ended well? Have they got... Well, there was a... Because, I think only because of the press uh, exposure, uh, the government liaised with their Dutch counterparts and produced a, basically said that you can carry on with the present system for six months, which ran out runs out in June. We don't know quite what's happening, but they've extended that period another six months, so it now runs out in January 2022. So it gives the government's plural a chance to sort this out. And I believe one way of being sorted is the extractor in Holland is opening a facility in the UK, which would go, which would obviate the need for foreign prescriptions. So I, I hope it's settled, but you know, watch this space come in October, November. But then again, you say settled. This could be settled in this one well-known case, and the, and, exactly. the, and the thing we discussed last time we did a podcast was yeah. that we had the headline case: one child, and of course, we're very happy for one child getting the prescription he needs, but none of the others did and i think you mentioned yeah. you, you mentioned some figures last time i think you said you, you said 15 17000 children in your esti estimation in the uk could benefit yeah that's just epilepsy um, and you can add not add the same number but you can add more again for children with degrees of pain that are very resistant as people for example with very disabling uh, young children with arthritis or disabling arthritis sometimes tumors uh, but mainly epilepsy it probably the total of number of children who would benefit from cannabis is in the order of 20 to 25000 and there's, there's three and a handful in the private sector children wise probably no more than 100 altogether in the country just a point on the medical profession's view. And Ricardo Gard, if I could put this to you, perhaps, I read a quote online from a doctor that said, I would be happy to prescribe medical cannabis. I have attended lectures and seminars on the subject, but the law simply does not allow me to prescribe. I work both as a London consultant psychiatrist and a private GP. The NHS Trust prevents me in the first capacity and the law in the second. Now, I'm sure... There's possibly there's there's a lot wrong in there, but the fact that it is a real doctor writing that and a doctor who has been on courses. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, j just to highlight, I think the, the key issue isn't the laws preventing doctors from prescribing. It's the guidance that's come from, as Professor Mike Barnes has said, to clinicians from NICE that has kind of prohibited this from happening because the education for clinicians hasn't taken place uh, and clinicians are not... Um, 
you know, they, they don't feel that they're in the know-how how to prescribe this uh, medicinal cannabis. Now, on, on, the, on the medical side of things, uh, and, and, and Mike will uh, quote me on if I'm wrong on this, traditionally, and the current status is, I think, if you, if you go into your doctors uh, with a- any sort of uh, medical issue, you have to try two conventional medicines first. They have to try, prescribe you with two conventional medicines first before you can get to the, the medicinal cannabis side of things. Even when you get there, you then don't have the doctors to who feel that they can prescribe that. And that's why you've got private um, centers, uh, private clinics um, set up, you know, for argument's sake the Medicinal uh, Clinician Society, uh, as well as Sapphire, that, that have been set up to be able to prescribe these to patients. But unfortunately, you know, not everybody can afford this. Um, and that's why it's fundamental that the NHS, after the great work that Mike Barnes did with, with Hannah to try and change the law, yes, it did change the law, but that was to open the possibilities for prescriptions to start flooding through the NHS. And that's the key. I think that's the, that's the biggest issue. So, so from everything you've just said there, the basic summary is that legally there are no issues. Well, legally there are s- several issues still with the, the, uh, dealing with the cannabis plant as a, as a whole. Um, you know, we you know it's still it's still part of uh, Schedule Two under the Misuse of Drugs Act, and we, we've got several issues when it comes to uh, dealing with THC, the psychoactive element uh, that um, that gives you the high. Um, let's say, and dealing with those elements when you look at the CBD wellness sector outside of the, the, the medical center, the me- me- medical side of things. So we, we still got a lot to go to change things. I mean, but at this moment on the medicinal side of things, it's a, it's a lack of education and lack of training and a lack of guidance from the likes of, of NICE uh, on the medicine side of things. Okay, so back to you, Mike, if I could. The, the, when we spoke before, there had been some previous nice guidelines, I think, and all, all have been yes. unhelpful. So, do you have any? Yes. Do you have any insights to why this might be? Well, I, I think it all because nice becomes comes from the wrong paradigm, if you like. Nice is set up to appraise pharmaceutical medicines as the new medicines as they come through, new blood pressure pills, new anti-diabetic pills, and they're good at that. I have no doubt about their expertise at doing that. They also make approvals on medical devices and other things. But what they're not used to doing is assessing a plant, a botanical. Uh, you know, they mainly come through as a as a food, and therefore they're they're assessed if that's even a bit of a strong word by the Food Standards Agency, um, not through the pharmaceutical route. And Nice looks at the evidence base for cannabis as a pharmaceutical product, and they say, well, there's not enough of these double-blind placebo-controlled studies. And as you know, that means that the doctor or the patient knows what they're taking, and they could either be taking the active product or the a placebo. And that's the sort of gold standard of drug assessment, which I agree it is, but you can't do that to a plant with over 100 cannabinoids and over 100 terpenes and and a whole load of flavonoids and other things in it with a variability because it's a plant. You can't do, you can't treat it as a pharmaceutical product. And NICE has treated it as a pharmaceutical product and quite deliberately avoided looking at the evidence except from the pharmaceutical type of evidence. And also he rejected um, studies in not in the English language, incidentally, which I think is equally daft. It rejected studies not in the English language. Yes, because there's been there's been tons been done in 
Israel and there's a lot being done. In fairness, most of the world medical literature is in English, but nevertheless, there's a, there's a bunch of in, uh, of literature, um, even pharmaceutical type literature in Spanish and German, etc., etc., and Hebrew. Um, so there's a lot of evidence out there that they simply dismissed either because it wasn't pharmaceutical type of medicine or it wasn't English, which I think is frankly ridiculous. And uh, they really do need to think about how they approach the nice assessment of a plant, if NICE continues to assess plants, I would like to see a, a new body established that looks properly at botanical products like CBD and such like, but that's, we drift into a different area, Richard. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't work out whether it's a funding issue because you, you made the point before that it's cheap, right? It, it's a, it's a, a weed that doesn't need much encouragement to grow. So mm. it's, not, it's not something that's had billions of pounds spent being developed. It was just there already. Right. Yes. So yeah. why, why in the situation we're in now, why is it so expensive? Well, I, well, but as you're quite right, you can grow um, cannabis in parts of the world for 10 cents a gram. And now we've got reasonably cheap product in the UK down to five pounds a gram. So you, there's a lot of extra money in there. Um, part of that is obviously you can't just um, you pick the weed uh, from the side of the street. You've got to grow it in a proper fashion. It's got to be grown to a good standard, so-called good manufacturing practice or GMP standard. That implies cost. You've got to follow the plant through from seed to sale, as they say. Um, it's got to be properly without contaminants. So there's a lot of extra cost in doing all that. Then in the UK, you've got to import it. So there's the costs of that. Uh, and then you move the import and move it to retail pharmacy, and there's a more uh, cost to that. And also the children to the NHS, the NHS costs are hugely more than the private costs because there's no, you know, there's not the usual purchasing power of the NHS hasn't come into play yet. Um, so put all that together, and you've got a reasonably expensive product, uh, which only in the private sector means a lot of people simply can't afford it. When there's more volume, um, you know, remember we said last time, Richard, something like 2 million plus people should benefit from cannabis. When you're negotiating with cannabis suppliers, when you've got a customer base of 2 million, your price is going to come very much cheaper. So we, we should look at this in the long term as a cheap but a very effective medicine. But at the moment, for those reasons, um, people can't afford it. Can I just add one one element to what Mike has said, which is he's covered all the bases and is the, the import, importation of it. We've had to import it. The reason being is we're on, well, we have laws for, uh, and licensing procedures through the Home Office that you can apply for cultivation licenses. But unfortunately, the red tape behind those applications, because you're dealing with a department that fundamentally has never really looked looked at this for the basis of culti- cultivating a controlled drug, because that's what we're talking about when it comes to medicine. You're, you're, you're talking about marijuana with high THC levels. We haven't got a system in place yet or, or a department that can really look at that for, for the benefit of this country for one, cultivating so that you're producing a, it's a botanical plant plant, as Mike said, for, you know, medicine, um, which is only going to help those patients. And at the end of the day, that's the, that's the key behind the paper that Mike and I ha- have produced. But it, that's only going to help the economy, obviously, uh, because you're going to have proper manufacturing facilities, uh, GMP approved, uh, and so on and so forth. The cultivation license in this country 
has predominantly been towards the industrial hemp for industrial use only, not for extraction of THC or CBD. Or, or, and so the licensing procedures haven't yet developed in the right way to allow that to happen. There's a, too much red tape with regards to that. And that's also backfiring with foreign investment as well as homegrown investment to establish a business in this industry. So, I mean, this is where it's not within the realm of the medical profession. This is the this is the legal side. So, your, the 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 nature of your report basically was that we're missing out on X amount yeah. of money because we could be making this stuff ourselves. So, we've yeah. we've we've legalized yes. this product. Whatever the other problems with the medical profession, yeah, we're still having to bring it in from abroad. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We're missing out on a very profitable industry. If you just ignore the patient benefit for the moment, which we shouldn't, but let's ignore it. We, you know, that paper shows that I think robustly that we can create the best part of 100,000 jobs in the cannabis industry in the UK. It's 97,000, I think we estimated. Um, and has then raised, unnecessarily raised tax income, corporation tax on profitable companies, income tax on new employees, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So tax income post-COVID and jobs post-COVID, I think I, I was highlighted the need to develop this industry. And yet we're not doing it because we just can't help tying ourselves up in, in red tape and paying lawyers to do things. No offence, Ricardo. But... No. <laughs> if only yeah. they could pay me to, to take away the red tape, the clients would get a better value. But um, yeah, I, it's unfortunate that the situation, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, I, I think the figures are still current, but GW Pharma were one of the biggest cultivators of cannabis in the world. Yeah. And where were they cultivating that? Here. So um, it's not an issue of, of being able to cultivate cultivate plant effectively in this country, you know, because you'll have, you know, uh, conversations about soil, weather, greenhouse and effects and so on and so forth. But the matter is that I think, and I think Mike touched on this quite precisely, setting up a, a another body that can look at this rather than nice on the medicinal side of things, maybe move yes. this away from the home office to look at cultivation, you know, set it, maybe coincide that with a body that looks at the medicinal side of things. Mm. When you're yeah. talking about cultivating for uh, the plant for medicine use yeah, and, and leave the industrial side of things, maybe just run by the home office, because then you're not dealing with anything that can be used uh, as a controlled drug. We're not talking about extraction. We're just talking about building material materials fiber you know synthetic use of, of the plant in that way so a lot needs to be done in those arenas which is more policy and guidance which goes back to the whole education of this this paper is educating everybody about the benefits of growing this plant not only as a medicine but as in for the industry and the economy yeah, because I mean, you can. There's no. There's nothing wrong with having the two things, is there? You know, it can be good. It can be good for health as well as business. Exactly. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no shame in that. No, not mutually exclusive. No. Right. I, I, I want to ask about the report. So you, you had this report saying, you know, we could X number of jobs and X amount of money that we could be making. It seemed to me like a no-brainer. I mean, yes, it's ridiculous. You know, if if you're going to if you're going to, if you're going to allow it, why pay other people to do it? As you say, post Brexit, post post COVID and everything. But has anybody not taken that view? Have you had any negative, constructively negative feedback about how you might be wrong? No, not no, nothing at all, actually. So obviously we're not wrong. 
So, <laughs> clearly, and of course, there are anti-cannabis campaigners. Not many of them are a significant minority these days, but even they kept quiet at that point. So I think I think most of those suggestions, as you as you say, Richard, are unarguable. I mean, they're just pure common sense. I mean, just take the one on uh, hemp. You know, we get a hemp license in this country, you have to throw away the flower which got the CBD in it. Uh, you have to burn it and get rid of it. And then, so all CBD we see on the shelves of supermarkets uh, and everywhere else, health food shops, is imported. I mean, how crazy is that? Uh, so there's a lot of silliness. I don't say that's been done deliberately. It's been done historically, but that f- puts into focus what Ricardo was saying. Is we need an office of medicinal cannabis, or call it what you will, that can coordinate all this, can coordinate the law, coordinate the licensing, the importation, the quality control, and even look at the research. That's what they've done in Holland, and they do it very well. So let's learn from the places that are ahead of us and put something like that in place, and we won't have this nonsense in uh, tying ourselves in knots in the law. I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, we were mainly talking about medicinal, but you can't separate the argument. And it seems to me you could break it down into into broadly three categories of which there is going to be obvious overlap. So you've got the you've got children with severe epilepsy where it's it's literally a life-saving medicine and then you've got you've got kind of life enhancing medicinal use if you you know people that are in pain that they wouldn't die if they didn't take it but it makes their life in some cases hugely better and then and then you've got the third group which is the recreational one and I think the fact that there is a bit of overlap between these in that you know Mm. if someone's in chronic pain who are you to say whether it's life-saving or life-enhancing i mean there are people who kill themselves because of pain it's a fact you know so 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 you can argue that pain is life-saving so so um, there's obviously some blurring of the lines between those Mm. and the and um people who take it quote-unquote recreationally there will be there will be kind of medicinal benefits to that too so Mm. you can't necessarily they're not always clear-cut like is what i'm saying and this and this i think creates confusion with people yeah Mm. i I think you're absolutely right and if i can just make it clear the paper wasn't about recreational um element or or, of the of cannabis however i mean we can look at other territories within europe mike's mentioned holland as one we can also look at portugal on decriminalization of, of the plant but let's also remember why is it that individuals are having to go down the recreational route to deal with pain if we had a system in place where they could get it prescribed to them, you wouldn't have that argument. Uh, and, and, and you've got initiatives like we've seen with CanCard where they're trying to break through that barrier to not paint everybody in the same light uh, as to why they're smoking ca- cannabis. The point of having a prescription-based or, or a doctor prescribing this medicine to someone for whatever symptoms they've got, you know, not chronic pain, but some whatever symptoms that they've got, is so that you've got a, a process and a procedure that will not only benefit the industry like we've already previously discussed, but the, the patient now knows what they're being prescribed. Because unfortunately, a lot of individuals who can't get it on the NHS, because you can't, there's, there, it's hardly happening, or can't afford the, the private doctors are having to buy this stuff off the street. And do they actually know what they're getting is the point of the discussion. You know, it's not just the recreational side that No, but a, a, couple, a couple on. of points. It's, it's all cu- of them, like you're saying, Richard. A, a, couple, a couple of points. I mean, back, back to what you said before. I mean, we, we already do grow tons and tons of cannabis in this country. Sadly, it's just all been grown illegally. And, and you know, there have been stories this week about how they've... Um, 
they've they've had this the, the police have had this great, great breakthrough catching all these drug gangs. I mean, it it seems crazy that we already have a big industry, but it's an illegal one which we're spending huge resources fighting where we could make yes. it disappear overnight. You know. Yes. Um, I wanted to make another point actually about the understanding of of, of cost and so forth in the industry. I had a I had a consultation with um, a private consultant to get a prescription for cannabis. And you go through the, the questioning to make sure, you know, your case is genuine. And one, but one of the questions that, one of the things that raised the question for me was that he said, at the end, he said, I, I'm just checking to make sure you're not going to sell it. Now, if yes. you, I, I could say this with some confidence, there, there will be no black market for this stuff because yeah. it's too expensive. You could, there is, I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't set, sell it on a black market. I'm sure you, you can find a buyer for anything, but there is no, there's no black market for something that costs 10 times what it costs when it's produced illegally. So, and it sounds like from, from since last time we spoke, the numbers of private prescriptions have gone up yes. and, 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 it, and it shows that, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's indicative of how much of a, of a, of a, need, of a need there is out there. But at the, at the 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 way it's priced at the moment, it's going to be a small amount of people with lots of money, and yeah, there will be no black market for something that's so. No, there won't be. Yeah. It's it's so expensive compared to what you can get on the street. Yeah. So we shouldn't shouldn't forget Richard as well that even if someone does sell it on the black market, they won't sell it. They won't buy it twice. Uh, because generally medical cannabis is relatively high in CBD, which counteracts the high of THC. So if you're if you're buying medical cannabis to get high, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Uh, so you're right, both on price and on content, if you like, it's not going to leak to any significant degree into the recreational market. I think you've made a, a very good point about the, the CBD is that kids like Alfie are taking huge quantities the sort of thing that if that exactly, if, if yes. you just if you just took the thc element you could be in kinds of in, in all kinds of trouble but it's very carefully exactly. done where you increase mm. the cbd the, the other main element yeah, and, and, exactly. and the child can take take kind of hero doses of the stuff but but he's that these children are not getting any kind they're of not high no because it's way counteracted by you know, broadly speaking 10 times as much cbd and that you know you can get 20 milligrams of thc which is a decent dose if somebody took it just naively without any other components you get high on that sort of dose but if you, the children are on that sort of dose with the cover of the cbd or adults certainly with pain they don't get high at all so you know we're talking we're talking about the same plant but a different product if you see what i mean yeah when we when we um spoke last time i said i was going to try and get it on the nhs and getting yes. it getting it privately was part of the attempt to do that and you, you won't be surprised to learn i have not been successful but we we didn't we weren't expecting me to be. But it was part, it was the the process which was interesting. So I spoke to my I have chronic pain for anyone that I hadn't mentioned it to. So um I went to my, and and had taken lot in the past lots of opioids and had bad experiences on those which was which was what led me to cannabis. And the, the GP at first sort of I, I I started off by saying I'm not expecting any luck with this, but I want to go through the process. And the GP sort of said I doubt you'll have any luck. First hospital trust said definite straight away no. The second one said they'd get back to me. And I ended up being rung up by a consultant who, I mean, it was a definite no, but he, he sort of ranted at me for about 40 minutes at the end of which he said what a waste of his time it was, even though I'd barely said anything. 
and he'd done all the talk- talking. But the the one thing that was that I hadn't really thought of is that he'd said he's a pain specialist and he'd said he's been his his clinic has been besieged with, in his words, drunks wanting their cannabis. Yes. Now it's I kind of, I kind of <laughs> and it kind of it kind of made me think because I hadn't I hadn't considered this side of it and that, that there are people that they it was basically like a uh, and I'm saying I'm like a slightly polite version of them you know saying I know it's legal why can't I have it but we'll, we'll do it put a little bit putting it in a slightly mm. different way but he he was he really saw it as a fun thing that people shouldn't be allowed yeah he's just ignorant frankly he hasn't he doesn't know the literature he probably doesn't know the difference between THC and CBD I mean I don't know the guy so I don't want to criticise too much but clearly no, 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 he, I, I don't, I don't want to give his, ne- give his name and I'm, no, I'm giving a verbatim I'm sure he said some, some better I'll, things I'll, I'll write to him and, and yeah. offer a training programme because what he's saying is is pure nonsense really you know he doesn't know the literature that people with chronic pain can be held with cannabis of that there is absolutely no doubt on any grounds whatsoever and so to say not is just shows a degree of ignorance but I think it's sad I think even if doctors don't want to prescribe it they have a duty to their patient to understand what they're suggesting against or suggesting for so you know I think that there's a duty of any doctor in that field to learn about cannabis I think one of the problems is the sort the sort of person he's describing so you get these people who whose lives are not in a in a good state for for whatever reason so you know they're not looking after themselves drinking not eating well or you know you you can pitch the sort of thing we're talking about and if among the other bad things they do they also take cannabis cannabis becomes mm. demonized because it's on the smorgasbord of things they do but you know exactly not not everything a person a person's life out of control not everything they do is bad and it may be that you know they're they're te- it's it's helping counteract some of the awful other things they're ingesting in their daily lives but i think in the eyes of the medical profession they see they don't see a lot of people like like me who try and be as healthy as possible and, and this is one thing they do they see people with mm. health problems and yeah this person is alcoholic all these other things and they also smoke marijuana and they go well it's therefore bad and exactly yeah it's it's a very old-fashioned 1930s reefer madness stereotype that still hangs out i'm afraid yeah it does it doesn't it, it doesn't seem one where we're keen to let go of too quickly no some i some aren't. And I think it's a generational thing. A lot of younger doctors have said they like to prescribe, but it's the older physicians that are tutting and saying, you can't do that, it'll ruin your career. And so literally, or we'll refer you to the General Medical Council, as they've also done. Um, so it is a bit generational. But sadly, that stigma still hangs around. But you, you say it's generational. I mean, Reefer Madness was in... 1936 which is before my yeah. dad was born you know so yeah so i mean that, it's, it's, that stigmatization it's, it's, of cannabis has started about then in the 1930s and continued really up through the 1970s 1980s i mean in fairness it was you could argue it's, it's, it was stigmatized up to 2018 because it was still illegal up to that time of the law change so there's you know the, the generation of the senior doctors have lived through their working life through the fact that cannabis is bad cannabis is wrong cannabis is antisocial cannabis gets you psychotic so they that's what's ingrained in them they're never taught in the medical schools anything different have you have you seen any reasons to be cheerful recently about this <laughs> I'm always cheerful, Richard. I, I've written the words. Yes. I, I actually wrote the words beating my head against the wall down somewhere. Yeah. Every, Sometimes I enjoy beating my head against the wall. I, I'm always usually fairly happy. But, it's, <laughs> but, but it, do, it does seem to me to be one of those things that it seems so, it seems so obvious. It seems yeah. so, you compare, I mean, you know, if you compare, again, t- taking the very extreme cases, you, t- you, you compare it for pain to the alternative. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
the, the costs of the costs of various other opioid painkillers, I mean, they've had the, all the huge development costs. They can't be cheaper in essence than something that grows with, without being asked by the roadside. So it seems so obvious that, you know, you can get one of these for no money. Whereas this one I have to pay £200 for, I have to buy it illegally. It seems so obvious. And yet mm. at every turn, yeah, beating your head against the wall. It's like, just like, oh, well, maybe possibly in the future. We speculated before about... yeah whether there would be full legalization and i know it's different to go recreational as well but i i think it'll happen but it seems it seems there's a lot of sitting on hand at the moment uh, there is definitely there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sympathy if you ask people do you do you support the legalization of cannabis for medical purposes the great majority of the population i think the latest figure was about 86 percent yeah said yes uh you know and therefore politicians should take notice of that um, that they, they would do what the public supports and support the public through getting this much more available national health service. It's a political win-win. Uh, so I don't understand why they're not doing it. And I think it's, again, this hangover stigma where we'll do this, but it's not really quite the right thing to do, old boy, is it? And I think yeah. that's, that's still in the system. Yeah, I, think that, I, think that, I think that was right, Mike, uh, with regard, I think it was a YouGov poll that they did that mm. showed, you know, the acceptance of this as for medical purposes was was in the 80s. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And recreation is now close to 50-50. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. I think, I think um, the association with, with smoking is an unfortunate one. Ricardo, I noticed with you, you were... Yeah. Uh, you were interchangeable. You, you were you, you were always saying smoking, and I know this is a this is a normal thing. People talk yeah. about smoking, but smoking as people do as most people do in this country, rec- recreation is they smoke unfiltered yeah. with tobacco yeah. and are doing themselves terrible damage by smoking yeah. joints of this nature. I mean, they yeah. will rip your throat out, forget about your lungs. So I think that that association and you see, and it, going back to the kind of unhealthy alcoholic, you see yeah. people smoke joints in the street. They're those kind. It's, 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 it's lung cancer is your biggest risk from that. Yeah. So this association is unfortunate I think. You're, you're absolutely right and and unfortunately as well uh, i mean mike has mentioned that the extraction and oils and there are s- several medicinal oils that can be used and those can be used indigestibly or by using vaporizers however some medicinal products are still the flower as well so uh, which they can turn into pastes and and other ways to, to ingest it but unfortunately we're still using it in the in, in that way whether they develop other ways to to ingest it um or or, or use it is is another you know why this sector needs to be looked at to develop new ways of, of establishing the medicine so when you prescribe it mark i think i'm right in saying you're not allowed to tell people to smoke it are you it has to smoking is not legal and at the moment six but 60 percent of prescriptions currently in the uk and the private clinics are for vape dried flour so that's legal but you can't smoke it and that's sensible medically because the temperatures you need to smoke are much higher than those you need to vape and in theory you could get carcinogens coming off like a cigarette not much evidence of that i have to say but it, i can see the safety it's safer to vape and healthier to vape it sounds like the, the numbers are, are much higher than they were when we last spoke a few months ago it was a thousand or yes. two and there's so there's six, yeah six so now our best that. estimate now is something something approaching six and a half thousand uh, from I think six active clinics now and about sixty uh, doctors actually prescribing across a range of specialties so that's 
It's still tiny. Let's not forget the 1.4 million people use it every day for medical purposes, as we said earlier. Uh, but, you know, th- there's more doctors, more clinics, more prescriptions, more f- choice of products now. What we need to do now is to get it available at NHS where it should be. What would be what would be very interesting to know would be where those numbers would be if it was at a more, if it was priced somewhere around the street value. You know, so mm. so if, if, if people could buy it for, I don't know, I would, I would say something like a quarter of the price would probably bring it down to you know where where it might make people think it was a it was a viable alternative but it would be interesting to see because as you say of those millions Mm. using it both recreationally and medicinally illegally it would be if it wasn't prohibitively expensive it would be interesting to see how where those numbers would be but yeah i have to say though the the flower costs are coming down quite rapidly oil is not really available on the black market to any the same extent it is of course but not much so we're looking at comparative flower prices and in some parts of the country the street price of cannabis is highly variable in some like the channel islands for example it can be up to 20 pounds a gram it's much less than that in places where there's a lot of activity like london or manchester but for 20 pounds a gram you're getting it cheaper through prescribed flower Okay. So, I mean, okay, it's very variable off the country, and your point is a generally good point, but it's not that far off now, the street price. It's coming towards the street price now. What are we, what are we talking per gram? We, uh, the prescription for uh, the cheapest on the 2021 Drug Science Project is now £5 a gram. £5 a gram. And so looking at an average, if you're not on that project, about seven to eight pounds a gram. And in some parts of the country, that's the street price. Okay, so it's so it's and you think it's going to be brought down? Can you see? In the, it must in the be because future? supply, simple supply and demand. The more patients there are, the more uh, competition there is from the suppliers. And as Although there's 16 different suppliers in the UK, most of them are oil, and there's only something like six or seven flour importers. Uh, so, you know, as soon as we get competition and bigger numbers, the price will drop still further. And we, what I don't want is a race to the bottom, because the, like any plant, you can get high quality and poor quality. And what we don't want is poor quality flour, because uh, this is a medicine, remember, we want the best quality we can. And quality does cost more than the, the poor quality See what I mean? So, you know, I've, we've got a, I don't want to see a drive to the bottom if that detriment of, of quality. Can I mention Matt Hancock briefly? And I know that the yeah, health brief, secretary. Briefly. Briefly. I know the health secretary is having such a bad time at the moment. This is the least of his worries. But the, mm. the, the thrust of what we're saying is it's. Is, it's it's mostly medical profession, but when I spoke to Hannah Deacon, um, Alfie Dingley's mother, she said her quote was, "Matt Hancock should hang his head in shame because he made he promised he promised one thing and then kind of hasn't delivered." Yeah. And then I don't know what the right word is, hid 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 away from it and got got. A- yeah, well they're they're hiding behind the fact. Well, we changed the law; it's now all the doctor's fault. And there's an element of truth in that. I'm sure Ricardo would agree. But there are things the government could still do to push this. It could, it could first of all get better nice guidance or not nice guidance, but get a better assessment of the value of the plant. It could make the costing easier. And I was there when Matt Hancock said uh, that he would not allow cost to be a barrier to the prescription of cannabis. And it is. There's a couple now who've, of prescriptions that have crept through the medical approval process and got stopped because it has to go to NHS England to be funded, and they've said no. So you know. That's that's another thing the government could do is make sure that doesn't happen. Sure, we need the medical profession 
pushed on, but there's things that Matt Hancock and the Department of Health uh, could do to promote the cause, as it were. Okay, fantastic. What I really want to do now is end on a positive note, but I'm not sure if we can find one. Is there, is there anything you can help me with? Like maybe anything. It doesn't it doesn't need to be. We're, I know we're not going to fix this in the next few days, but I don't know, Ricardo. Have you got any any anything help from, from anything green well, shoots? I'd love to say yes. That uh, you know the the sun is just about to come up now, and 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 the blue sky. Unfortunately, the only positives that we can see is that people are not treating this as a, a taboo subject based on the YouGov uh, surveys that have been carried out. Uh, acceptance by the public for medicinal, recreational, uh, and also the uptake on. If we look at, obviously, we weren't haven't really discussed that, but the CBD wellness sector, the uptake of CBD products by consumers, I think that's going to, you know, with papers like ours, discussion papers to government, uh, and those figures, hopefully, that will send the message that government and policymakers within government can take note. Especially, we just we're about to come out of this pandemic finally. Hopefully, you know, with the vaccination rollout happening quite well in this country, government's not going to be focusing on the pandemic forever. And they will need to start focusing on the economy. The, the bailout of the pandemic has been massive for the for the coffers of government. They're going to have to refill those coffers somehow. And so they're going to have to look at industries like this to see whether or not that could be the industry that they want to you know, support. So hopefully, yes, that, that's positive if you can turn a spin on it. Yeah, no, it is positive. It is positive. And I think it's good what you say about the CBD market because this is this is huge and these are these are healthy people we most most these are these are healthy people who are looking for alternatives to the various medicines ibuprofen and so forth that they were taking before but they're also realizing that the, the market is really difficult because CBD supplies is really difficult and also CBD is not the only thing in cannabis and you know as a as a i mean mike will back this up as a as a painkiller cbd just isn't what the full plant is that's right mike no that's that's definite i think that's unarguably unarguable now okay well any any green shoots from you then mike yeah i'm generally optimistic i mean i think we're just gonna look back two and a half years that's all it is to november 18 and before that there was no prescriptions no product in the country no nothing and now two and a half years later we've got six and a half thousand people 60 doctors prescribing six clinics 16 producers so we've come an awful long way plus a thriving cbd industry on the related so we've come a long way sure it's frustrating months to months day to day there are things that are so easy to address and put right but i'm optimistic i think we'll see that first nhs prescriptions within 12 months more than the three we've got at the moment and uh, after that it takes off look at canada and australia they had two two or three years of stagnation after their legalization then the fourth year it began to take off in the fifth year whoosh even if you allow another couple of years for British deeply ingrained conservatism, we'll be there. It's unstoppable now. Perfect. That's what we want. That's what we want. Because yeah, maybe we're being a bit impatient. I mean, it's it's yeah. just it's taking time, but we'll but we'll get there. But we need we, we need you and Ricardo and, and people like Hannah Deacon to keep fighting the fight and we'll get there eventually. I hope so. I hope so. Then I can finally retire. <laughs> <laughs> so Professor Mike Barnes, Ricardo Gayada, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Professor Mike Barnes and Ricardo Gallarda. If you want to see that report, it's mapletreeconsultants.co.uk. mapletreeconsultants.co.uk. Find out about all the work that 
Mike Barnes and Hannah Deacon are doing. Healthy Beast is at Healthy Beast Podcast on Instagram and healthybeastpodcast.com on the internet. Thanks very much for listening.